Yeah, what up, y'all? It's your boy, Flame, a.k.a. St. Lou. And remember, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does, you feel? I say before you go, that extra note. <laughs> Welcome back to Extra Notes Academy. This right here is a response video. Last week's podcast episode was addressing spirit baptism, and there were some interesting responses. The majority of the responses were great, super encouraging. People are loving, being challenged, and growing, and those things really mean a lot to me because that's my passion. But then there were a few things that I thought was worth addressing, uh, some misconceptions, some confusion, and really some unhealthy ideas. So one of those ideas was this notion that if you do not experience this second baptism, this spirit baptism, then you are missing out. You're living beneath um, some the fullness of the gospel or the fullness of what it means to be in Christ as a Christian. And I think that's a, a very unhealthy, unbiblical, and dangerous idea. The second thing that's worth discussing and mentioning is this notion that there's this competition between the mind and spiritual things. So a person made a statement that said, Christianity is not just about head knowledge, but we need to be in the spirit as well. And and in essence, I agree with that in terms of Christianity is not just about checking the box off on right doctrine or orthodoxy, because the Bible is clear in the book of James that even demons believe and shudder. So it's not just about believing the right things. It is about trusting in Christ. But although we do trust in Christ, although we do lean in on the Holy Spirit's leading and um being open to how the Holy Spirit wants to move, there are still parameters as to what that means. The Bible gives us those parameters as we are thinking about what is true spirituality and what is not, what behaviors are consistent with the things the Holy Spirit has allowed and what things are bizarre or outright anti-biblical as it relates to spirituality. So there should be some control as it relates to what's spiritual right? As we think of it in a Christian worldview and context. So that's important. So I think it's wrong to act as if necessarily theology and discussing scripture is inherently in competition with the movement of the spirit. The most healthy way forward is to acknowledge both to realize that God wants us to use our minds. Peter says to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Second Peter chapter one, verse three talks about us having all things that pertain to life and godliness based upon the knowledge of Christ. So knowledge is good as well as um, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's unctions, how he may sort of inspire or lead you in a direction towards serving others or doing things for the benefit of those around you. We should be open to that that supernatural reality whereby the Holy Spirit some type of way communicates, moves us to do good things in the world. So those things go together. They should not compete. But anyway, um, the third thing, which I think is very important, is just the confusion as it relates to the order of things in the book of Acts surrounding baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So We'll talk a lot about that. So I'm just going to read this article I wrote. It's very short, but it's my attempt to clarify some of the fuzziness as it relates to what's going on in the book of Acts. So let's just get right into it. So this right here, I just titled it, The Book of Acts is Unique. The term redemptive 
historic uniqueness is used to describe the nature of the book of Acts. The events that take place throughout the book are unique to this transitional time in redemptive history. In particular, Pentecost and the many Pentecost that happened throughout the book of Acts culminates as a statement of unity and diversity in Christ as one body. This event marks the origin of the Christian church, which is made up not only of Jews, but of all nations, tribes, and tongues. United by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So this is important because this term, redemptive historic uniqueness, is a good term that helps us understand the nature of events taking place in Acts. There's a lot of there's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts. And we need to understand that the book of Acts is very unique. It's transitional. Um, it's this this moving into the new covenant. It's the origin and the birth of the, the Christian church. So it's a lot going on at this time period. So we want to be careful how we refer to the book of Acts as a model or a standard. Yes, there are beautiful things there that we should always draw on and always look to. However, there are things that we should not, and we need to know how to distinguish those two. Let's keep going. The reality that the book of Acts is unique in nature is not a statement meant to dismiss the gifts of the Spirit. Please hear me when I say that. God is free to bestow gifts and perform miracles at his prerogative and to whom he pleases. I am by no means arguing that the gifts have ceased. That is not the intention of this article. So I want to be clear up front. My intention is not to say that the Holy Spirit does not heal, that he does not give people a word of knowledge or maybe some insight into the future or maybe um, that the Holy Spirit cannot give someone the gift of tongues whereby they speak in another language or someone can hear the word of God in their own language. God is free to do so. He can bestow those on whomever he pleases at any given time. I am not making the case that these supernatural realities are off limits because the Bible is no longer being written or the canon is closed, as we say. Um, so hear that, know that, and allow that to be the truth of what I'm saying, as opposed to needing to fit me into another category so that you can make your argument against something and someone else. Please hear me on my terms and accept those terms. Let's keep going. <laughs> Having said that, there is an unhealthy and unbiblical school of thought lurking among Christian thinking that some believers in Christ are living beneath and without all that God has for them by way of supernatural experiences and abilities. Make no mistake, you are not missing out on the fullness of Christ if you have not spoken in tongues or prophesied nor performed or experienced healings and miracles. In fact, 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So if you are in Christ, do not let anyone convince you that you are missing out on some extra thing. 
This we have in Christ alone. You are not missing anything. Do not let anyone convince you otherwise or pressure you into thinking less of yourself as a baptized believer. So resist the temptation to see yourself in some insecure way, as some in some inferior way that says, because I have not spoken in tongues or performed any miracles or received some supernatural um, experience where the pastor laid hands on me and I didn't fall out. I didn't I didn't become queasy and woozy and then faint. Do not let anyone pressure you into thinking that if you did not have that experience that you are lesser than that you are missing out on the fullness of the gospel or the fullness of Christ because Peter confesses that in Christ he says that we have his divine power and it's been granted to us that we have all things in him that pertain to life and godliness so the fullness of everything God wants you to have is already yours in Christ by faith If you are a baptized believer, that is yours right now. (laughs) Why the fuss? The point of conflict resides with the varying order of things related to baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit. This is the problem point. There are occasions where the giving of the Holy Spirit is included in baptism as in Acts 2, 38 through 39. And it should be noted here that Peter had just gotten through giving a sermon. Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit has fallen on people. Uh, The gift of tongues has been given. People are hearing the gospel in their native language. They're like, what is going on? This This is crazy. But I'm hearing of God's goodness in my own language. And it's people from different nations that are represented there that are all experiencing and seeing this phenomenon take place in their midst, right? And then Peter preaches this sermon. And as a response to the sermon, people are wondering, man, how can I become a Christian? Matter of fact, let me just read it. Acts chapter two, verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What is the this? The this is the sermon Peter gave where he's explaining Christ and the gospel and and, and what 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 was done to him, how he was crucified. And these things are being communicated clearly by Peter, right? Then it says, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So that's the question. What should we do? How do we get saved? How do we benefit from the, the forgiveness and the grace of God? How do we become Christians? And Peter said to them, repent, And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So keep that in mind. This is Peter's response to the question, What shall we do? Which we know to mean, how do I get saved? How do I become a Christian? How do I receive the forgiveness of sins? Because it says that they were cut to the heart. We would say they were convicted, right? They felt the weight of the law crushing them. They felt that guilt, that condemnation of the law. 
And Peter gives them a word of life, a, the gospel hope. And he says that you should repent and be baptized. So it's not about the order. It's the fact that those things belong together. So when you see the word and understand it as meaning partnership along with or also. So repent and be baptized. They go together. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, because this is done based on the authority of the triune God as he's revealed through his son, Jesus. What takes place when you are when you are repentant and baptized? The forgiveness of sins, he says, for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the clearest thing we see from this passage without reading into it, some other theological traditions, ideas about it. Just looking at the passage, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's very clear. That's the plain meaning of that text. All right. So my point is, it's very interesting that right after Pentecost, people are convicted by Peter's sermon. And Peter explains to them that the way to become a Christian is repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. So it's very interesting to note that right after the event of Pentecost and people now want to become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is described and discussed in such a way that he is given through baptism. We should note that that is right on the heels in the same moment. As the Pentecost reality is taking place. So keep that in mind as we move throughout. So let me let me start this section over. It says the point of conflict resides with the varying order of things related to baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit. There are occasions where the giving of the Holy Spirit is included in baptism as in Acts 2, 38 through 39. That's what I just read. Occasions where the persons were baptized and had not received the Holy Spirit until hands were laid on them by the apostles, as in Acts 8, 12 through 17, as well as Acts 10, 44 through 48, where the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, coupled with the gift of tongues first, and then baptism followed. These three varying scenarios should be understood with the term redemptive historic uniqueness. And that's where this is important because you see these three variations and of the order of things. So we should understand that as this is a unique time period of transition that is taking place. Let me read this next sentence. It'll, it'll explain it. That term demonstrates the wildness of this holy phenomena. And I think that's a healthy way to think about it. There's a holy wildness to what's taking place. And things are just kind of happening all over the place. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. People are speaking in tongues. People are being baptized first. People are receiving the Holy Spirit, then getting baptized later. It's just a lot of moving parts and a lot is going on in this beautiful, holy, wild way. And for that reason, we should understand that this is a unique time period. So we should be very careful when trying to duplicate the wildness, the holy wildness of what's taking place in the book of Acts. 
But as mentioned before, isn't it interesting that the first thing that Peter mentions right in the space of the spirit being poured out, that the Holy Spirit comes through baptism? That's very interesting that that's the first thing Peter describes as it relates to how to become a Christian. And that's through repentance and baptism and the Holy Spirit is given. That's just very interesting. Keep that in mind. Not only should it be pointed out that the giving of the spirit was performed by the apostles themselves by the laying on of hands or at least in their presence, but also their insistence on binding things together. There is an urgency by the apostles to unite baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit. They never settled for one experience or the other. They always made sure, regardless of the order of things, to unite them all together. Almost as if to say, perhaps, let's rightly orient these things. And I love that because you see, regardless of the variations upon which all these things came together, the apostles were keenly intentional about making sure that they all were one experience that were bound together. So in the instance where the persons were baptized and had not yet received the Holy Spirit until hands were laid on them by the apostles in Acts 8, 12 through 17, you see there was this intentionality to make sure that those things came together. And as in 10, 44 through 48, where the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles coupled with the gift of tongues first, and then baptism followed, they were careful to make sure, oh, snap, you received the Holy Spirit. Let's get you baptized. So they always made sure to reconcile those events as one. They never settled for one or the other or said, well, he's been baptized. He doesn't need to have the, the Holy Spirit. They were very careful to piece all of this together. <laughs> That's the norm that should be highlighted not the contemporary rhetoric by some that tongues must follow the possession of the Holy Spirit each time without exception. Furthermore, at one of the many Pentecosts in Acts 8, 14 through 17, the expression of tongues or languages, not gibberish, did not follow the giving of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John made no fuss about that nor demanded it as a result of the giving of the Holy Spirit. Yes, verse 13 says, quote, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed, end quote. Yet it does not say one of those signs or miracles was tongues. To argue from silence that tongues was one of the accompanying amazements there would be an error, a thing to avoid. So we see even in this instance, the Holy Spirit fell, but no one spoke in tongues. Nor do we observe that the apostles demanded that they do speak in tongues. They did not. But we do see that they always demand and are intentional about making sure a person is baptized because that's important to what it means to be saved, to be a Christian. After the book of Acts, the normal pattern of things rises to the surface. 
what we observe from the epistles is baptism rightly oriented as a means of grace, whereby the Holy Spirit saves and sanctifies. No longer do we observe the activities that follow Pentecost or the few many Pentecost from the book of Acts. Again, that is not to say God has ceased to perform miracles in our world. That's not what I'm saying. However, what we observe is that the remaining epistles in the Bible does not demonstrate the same duplicated phenomenon from the Pentecost moment. These passages demonstrate the relationship between baptism, the Holy Spirit, salvation, and sanctification. Romans 6, 1 through 5, Galatians 3, 27, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Titus 3 and 5, which says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Titus passage is very interesting. It ties the washing of regeneration, baptism, this this washing that gives life, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, there they are again, bound together. And 1 Peter 3, 20-21. It is clear that the book of Acts is unique. It is also clear that the remaining books in the New Testament do not demand the activities that follow the giving of the Holy Spirit be repeated or duplicated. One should now be relieved of any added burdens, the burden of having to achieve higher levels of spiritual manifestations, the added burden of insecurities of whether or not you are one of God's special ones or one of his favorites. The false notion that having Christ's presence in your life is not enough, but that some second spirit baptism is the fullness of the gospel. All those thoughts can be properly put away and buried in the ground forever. We are justified by Christ alone. Water baptism is sufficient. God is free to act and to distribute gifts and miracles when and upon whom he wills. Selah. So let this set you free, that you are not responsible for speaking in tongues to prove that you really have the fullness of the spirit or you are really into the second stage of higher achievement or more spirituality. That is not the case. Let this set you free and remove the insecurities of whether or not you are one of God's special chosen ones or one of his favorites. Let this set you free to bask in the reality That in Christ alone, you have the fullness of him. You have the fullness of the gospel in water baptism. The Holy Spirit comes to us. He gives us new life. He cleanses us. He works with us throughout this entire journey to make us holy, to empower us to do good works as we serve our neighbor. And in closing and bringing it all full circle, my prayer is that you will see that the book of Acts is unique. It's a transitional time period, though the order of things varies. The apostles were sure to bind things all together. The apostles were clear in communicating right as Pentecost is taking place that the way to become a Christian is through baptism, water baptism, 
and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. It's that simple. We don't have to complicate Christianity and add these burdens and make people think that they're missing out if they just have simple faith. Yes, the Holy Spirit is going to move and do miraculous healings and deliver people from all manner of vices and struggles. He's going to bestow upon people certain gifts, but that doesn't make them more valuable or more important. It highlights that the Holy Spirit is caring for us through people. And he gives this person that gift. He gives that person that gift so that we all can win, so to speak, so that we all can receive good things from God. And ultimately, so we can be a light to the world so that they can see that God is for them in that he sent his only son, Jesus, to live perfectly to die on the cross for all of our sin, to rise from the grave, proving that he's really God and man in one person. And that by faith, as we trust in him, we can receive the benefits of what he won for us. And that he delivers those things in many ways through the hearing of the word and through the visible word, the sacraments. He gives us his gospel, his good news in many ways because he's kind And much more could be said, but I hope this would clear up some of the fuzziness as it relates to the varying order of things in the book of Acts and um, and removes the burden that you are lesser than if you do not experience these miraculous phenomena. Um, Yeah. So be at peace. You know what I mean? So anyway, this your boy Flame, a.k.a. St. Lou. And remember, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. You feel before you go, that extra note.